This is the Church Planting Podcast, brought to you by the Broadcast Network. Broadcast exists to support, train and encourage church planters. For more information about who we are or about the training that we offer, please visit our website at www.thebroadcastnetwork.org. Welcome to the Broadcast Podcast. Uh, I have David Devonish with me again. Um, this is a second um, of a, a maybe two podcasts. We'll see how we get on today. But second of a number of podcasts um, that me and David are doing. My name is Tim Simmons. I'm based in Manchester, um, the great city on earth. David is based in Bedford, which doesn't quite make the top 10 of good cities. But there you go. Um, and we uh, have been talking about the question of what is God doing at the moment? And really, uh, in all that has happened in the last two years uh, with COVID and lockdown and how that has affected um, the whole planet, how it's affected humanity, and then how it has affected the church, how it's affected Christians, um, really wanting to take steps back and ask God, what are you doing? And last time we, we kind of got into that. Uh, and David's whole point was that we will carry on with today is that the Western church has a bit of a tendency when there is an issue or a problem or an opportunity to run to methodology and structure before looking at the deep lying underlying issues that perhaps uh, are there. And in the COVID and lockdown era, these deep underlying issues have probably been exposed in a way that they haven't been for a very long time. Um, And so we have been exposed in a time of shaking. And so we wanted to look at these underlying issues um, before getting to methodology and structure. And perhaps methodology and structure can help us in a way, and perhaps it can't, and we'll we'll look at that as well. Um, And so David kind of raised five issues. And then the first podcast, which is on the podcast, and I encourage you to listen to it, um, was the consumerist nature of the Western church. Then the second issue was the individualistic nature of Christianity in the West, particularly. And those two things, I think, have been hugely exposed uh, by lockdown and by a pandemic. And the three other issues he raised were how we live in a post-Christian culture, uh, the need for fully understanding ethnic and social diversity in local church uh, and how the centre of Christianity has moved from the Western world to the kind of Eastern Southern world. Um, And we're looking at this from a kind of a Western church. So we're applying it to Western churches because I'm mainly a Western church leader. And uh, I, I think there is loads that we need to learn. I think particularly the British church, there is loads that we need to reflect on. And I fear for my friends who are pastors and their churches and myself and my church that we run to a a plan and a structure. um, And then in a couple of years time, we don't understand why nothing has changed. um, And we need to look at these issues. Uh, So, David, welcome back. It's good to have you. Um, Your third point, how do we live in a post-Christian culture? Um, Can you kind of unpack that a bit for us? What what do you mean by that as as one of the underlying issues we need to get to? Okay, well, um, it's certainly in the US and for a longer period in the UK, there's been a change of world, of basic worldview, worldview being the deepest level of culture. Um, 
when we look at the various levels of culture, there's what's out external, but then there's lots of things that are more internal you don't find until you uh, get really to know a culture. Then the foundation level of that is what we call worldview, which is your whole outlook on life, which is largely unspoken. Now, uh, and now, up until the last 50 years or so, um, we've had a, even though we've not been living in a Christian society, there's basics on worldview traits that have been at the foundation of our life, which we could at least share in common with people that may not accept our faith. Okay. And so, you know, and even the appeals to what's right and wrong and the Bible being part of national life, even if it's not, even if people are not born again, even if people, uh, there would still be an honoring of scripture and so on, even if people disagree with it. And so there was that recognition that, uh, and that was called what we called Christendom and as opposed to Christianity. So institutional Christendom still made its mark on our basic worldview. Um, and uh, that's been so for, for many centuries, even, even where there's been a major turning away from Christ, which has then led to a revival, which has brought people back to Christ, like under Wesley and people like that, even though there uh, were, were there was a yeah very few genuine believers around and there was nevertheless an appeal that could be made to a basic worldview which had christian elements in it or was christian influenced okay um in the states that's been even more the case and so that some of the confusion I believe in evangelical Christianity in the state is still sort of almost linking America with a Christian being a Christian country and fighting politically for that and so on. Whereas actually for most of the world today, people are accustomed to living in a non-Christian worldview. Uh, sometimes they're persecuted for it, but they understand even where they're not persecuted, they understand that their values are totally different. Now, the, the, the evangelical church in the West, is, even if that would be acknowledged, still talk as if we're in a Christian worldview, basically. Mm. Whereas we've got to understand the worldview is now totally different. The worldview is secular, not just certain expressions of the secular the whole world view is secular and therefore uh when we're having discussions with people in the world you can't use the sort of arguments that would you would have used at one time um and it requires a similar sort of approach to evangelism for example as you would do in any culture that wasn't christian now, that's a long way of saying it, but I just feel that the church needs to learn to grapple with that fully 
and there are better minds than our mine in doing that. Now, it's still true that there are things in our culture that were influenced by a previous Christian worldview. So at least people understand apologizing and forgiveness, hmm. yeah. which before Christianity wouldn't have been understood. Yep. Do you, do you see what I mean? So there's yep. still things that have influenced it, but still the basic worldview is we're, we're li living like the Jews were in, you know, in exile. They were mm. taken into captivity. They then had to learn how to live in a worldview that wasn't uh, affected by the Jewish traditions and therefore going back to Moses and Abraham and so on. They had to, it was, they had to live, and they were very surprised because, you know, when Jeremiah said, you know, enjoy living in another place um, and pray for the prosperity of your city and so on, they were surprised because that was, that was the enemy. Mm. And so uh, they had to learn how to live in a different society. And the, and the, and the early church had to do that. I mean, mm. if you, you know, read the letters to the churches, it was teaching how you live differently with Christian values in a, what was obviously a non-Christian worldview. Mm. That, I do, yeah, and it is fascinating. Um, so let's uh, let's think about it in terms of the UK. So um, my dad became a Christian in a small town England in Woking because the church ran some sort of youth cafe, and numbers of them at the time. I mean, this was in the, I think it was in the sixties. Numbers of them became Christians. Lots of them, um, and I think that at that point in the UK, the worldview would have been basically Christian, even though, you know, it, it was the 60s in Britain, so it was pretty crazy at the same time, but there was that basic worldview. So we all knew we could have a conversation about faith, about belief, with all sorts of assumptions that nobody had to even bring up. Uh, whereas now, uh, I think about, so that my dad would have been in, in his late teens, I think, or in his, in his teens, his late teens. Um, and I think of that age group now, late teens, early 20s, yes. We are, I mean, some churches have seen those, that age group get saved, but not many. Um, and because the basis of conversation is now completely different. Yes. The assumptions that we would have assumed in the 60s, 50s have now gone. We don't, that, those, that generation and, you know, older generations as well now don't have those views. So as the average church pastor, which I am, in a, a, a normal town in the UK, how do I help my church um, it would think about mission, about living their life, um, about the the slight fear and anxiety that there comes in realizing your whole the the worldview has changed. Basically, you should think differently about almost everything compared to the people around you. Um, yes. How do you help your church kind of work that out? Well, I think to be honest, that's what we're all trying to do at the moment. Yes. Um, so it would be very presumptuous of me to uh, say I've got all the answers to that. But there's a number of things that I think um, should be pointers to help us. Firstly, uh, when someone's converted in a totally non-Christian context, and I've been working in some of those contexts, then you teach them from the beginning that they're gonna be different from the people around. Mm. Yes. 
And there's going to be a cost, therefore, to discipleship. Mm. And in the Western Church, we've it's not that we haven't said there's a cost to discipleship. We've always you know, said, take up your cross and follow me. But actually, it's not been stressed as the sort of almost foundational principle. Mm. And so we see it. And the pandemic has brought this out I've, where a number of people not only aren't coming to faith in the generations you mentioned, but are, open quotes, losing their faith mm. as they get it because they feel such a minority over other issues that are going on at the same time as the pandemic. So it's not that yeah. we feel differently about the pandemic, yeah. but uh, the, the, the almost closing down of churches, I know, sorry, close, churches are never closed down, but church services, closing down of church services and just lack of fellowship. And a lot of things were taken for granted because everybody you were meeting with regularly thought the same as you if yeah. you were in the youth group or in the twenties group or whatever it might be, you're, but the pandemic exposed them to where that wasn't the case. They weren't with people who were encouraging them and their uh, basic Christian outlook on life. And so they started asking questions and why are we taking this line? And it became, and why, and how, why should we be so different from people around? And how do we bring up our children with values that they'll be taught something differently in the world? Those are questions now. And that has caused some to say, well, I'm not sure I, 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 I do believe this anymore. Mm -hmm. um, and so, but part of that is understand if, if they were, if they were came to faith in a country that was so obviously non-Christian and where they may even be persecuted for their faith. And if they weren't persecuted, they will be a tiny minority. Then uh, they would um, I've said, okay, yeah, part of becoming a Christian is I'm now going to be a tiny minority. Mm. But for our younger people, that hasn't been the case. Do you see what I mean? I do, yeah. Actually spelling that out. Now, that may mean some people don't take up their crosses and follow him, but at least it's clear. Yes. Um, yeah. And, and uh, you know, the early church didn't do too badly in a totally non-Christian non culture, did it? You know, um, and there are parts of the world now where the church is really growing and it's very much in a non-Christian context. Yeah. Even yep. a persecution context. Yep. And so it's not that, that I'm being negative and not optimistic, but I am being realistic about the challenges we're facing. Yeah. No, it's very good. Uh, it's what you're saying really is we need a, <clears throat> it's a more radical call that needs to be made to what it is to be a follower of Jesus. And perhaps in my mum and dad's day, yeah, it was a different call. And so that's what, you know, younger believers, both those that come to Christ later in life or people who are younger in age who are believers, need to face mm. um, that they are a minority. Now, that, that is not helping us with the next question, which is, well, how do we reach, which is what you raised in the first place, mm. how do you reach those people of that age? Um, because 
there are some churches that are growing through people of that age so we have to you know say some good is happening but um the other thing that's been exposed is which doesn't quite relate to this but does in a way um you know on late 20s and 30s with young families the pandemic that's but they've been some of the people that have you know homeschooling all these things been most affected by it and not having a, a meeting to have to go to on a sunday as well has been a welcome relief without overstating it yeah um and so uh and then everybody else is getting on with their lives like that why can't we but you're in a post-christian culture and actually being part of a body is part of the minority <laughs> uh faith that we belong to yeah but then of course we've got to say about so that's the challenge for our own people then there's the challenge how do you then evangelize in that context Yep. I was uh, reflecting on something you said in our last podcast. I, should, I, was, just, I was thinking about it this morning um, <clears throat> where you sometimes in how uh, a church might communicate about events or Sunday services or whatever. And they will say it's going to be fun. Yes. Now, we, we are not cr- actively creating events that are excruciating and boring. Um, but that the, the the appeal, the consumeristic individualistic appeal to that uh, and actually it comes in again thinking well if we live in a post-christian culture the appeal needs to be we are a radical minority group who are actively different to the world around us and this affects us in all of these ways um and if you're a radical minority group it isn't going to be it's not going to be fun necessarily uh, not because you make it boring but actually because it's costly and there is sacrifice and um, and, and yet, we don't want to get back either to the lack of fun of previous generations where Christianity was all ultra sober and all that sort of thing. Yes. We don't want to get back to that either because, and legalistic, because actually we live in the way the, the early church was in a context where, on the one hand, they lived radically different, on the other hand, they expressed grace to those around them. So they didn't come condemnatory to those around. They showed grace to them. Yes. So we've got to also help people live that way. Yeah. So it yeah. doesn't go back to judgmentalism. Yes. We don't go of the flesh or of the law. We go of the spirit. And so yeah. how we work that out. Yeah. Very good. This is a radical call in there. Well, that's as I mean, we could talk about this for, for days, uh, even the, the worldview shifts. I mean, we've skipped over the top of that. Um, but how we live in a post-Christian culture, I think, uh, is vital for us to consider. Um, the, the next one you talked about was uh, and this uh, will add a different kind of slant to what we've just been talking about is our need for fully understanding ethnic and social diversity in local church. Um, and I, I suspect that that was one of the things we that kind of came at us from the side in the pandemic, um, which uh, perhaps speaks of my own privilege in the fact that it came at us as a shock in that. Um, but with uh, what happened to George Floyd, all of the Black Lives Matter uprising, um, which you know, many people in many of our churches felt passionate about, um, whether black or white or whatever colour. Um, uh, but I think it was one of those things, that was such a huge 
flash in the media pan and a social media thing um that you 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 it's easy to forget that it happened in a funny way and i can say that as a white guy um but it, actually there is something very deep for us to consider in the british church and perhaps in our end of kind of british evangelicalism how we do that so again go how expand on this this thought a little bit for us david yeah as you say it wasn't the pandemic that brought that to the surface but mm. it happened at the same time as a pandemic mm. and uh what a genuinely diverse church is one that is able to ex each of the cultures can express themselves each each of the cultures influence what's happening because sometimes it can be a white church that has some people from other ethnicities amongst them but they basically conform to a a white cultural way of doing things mm. even though uh you know you might say well come on uh christianity the gospel's the same every yes of course it is but we still express things through our culture. Whereas actually, genuinely, if we really believe that in Christ there's neither Jew nor Gentile, nor Scythian nor Barbarian, then nor rich and poor, then uh, each of those will contribute to the whole rather than all conforming to the way certain people do it. So one of the dangers in Corinth, because Corinth was unusual in the New Testament times in having quite a few rich people in it, um, you know, with big homes and, and so on. And you read about some of the people that they were very high positions and so on, which is great. Um, but that meant that, that the poor were almost second rate to the rich in Corinth. Now, it may not be rich and poor with us, or it may be, maybe middle class and, mm. and so on, um, who actually dominate the thinking. And, but it can be an ethnicity thing as well, rather than uh, truly listening to and involving and involving at every level. And so a multi-ethnic church and a multi-social church should have people from the different ethnicities and different social backgrounds within the leadership, for example, according to the God gifting of God. Mm. Um, and it raises all sorts of issues, like we, uh, white Westerners, look for certain characteristics in leadership, whereas in other parts of the world, they're not looking for those characteristics at all for leadership. Um, and so... We've just got to work through what that really means. And we've got to be willing to pay the cost of that. And we've got to be willing to pay the cost of almost what, what the, all the Black Lives Matter things raised in our minds and, and so on, <coughs> was that we have advantages as white people in our context, which we don't realise we have. Yes. Yeah. And so we have to say, how do we, how do we, mitigate against that and really bring others through and you know and be brought through by them yeah we've just got to uh think very differently about all sorts of issues and so you know as soon as we were able to meet in person after the george floyd thing 
even though it's socially distanced, we met together with a whole representatives of different ethnicities in the church and talk about how are you really, you're now free to say how you're really feeling and what, and what you found difficult being here. Mm. Um, and it was very interesting. Mm. People who've been, you know, very happy in the church as far as we could see and, and were, and they said, you know, they loved being in the church, but they actually said some of the things they found really difficult. Mm. And people often who were, very respected in their communities and perhaps being church leaders where they've come from suddenly we're not you know mm. um and we've got okay now you don't transfer your leadership from one church to another of course even if you're white but nevertheless we've got to think about these sort of things because we don't we can be blind to it I mean, it's really interesting how how the um, the the view and expectation of what a leader is and what a leader does. So uh, I would know that I would prize um, efficient, well-organized, good communicating leader. And I would take that first <laughs> over their relationally good. If they were relationally good, but badly organized. I, I would find it very frustrating. That that would deeply frustrate me. And I I, I watched this play out in our church as well. So um, and so we the the non-white people that we have, the the black families that we have in the in the church. I know that they want to relate to me in a different way um, to the white families. Now the white families want to be my friend and want to have good relationship as well. But they will put up with me not talking to them. They won't bother them particularly for a number of weeks running. And having little communication with them personally, whereas that's not quite the same for and I don't even it doesn't even cross my mind until we start trying to bring through um, black leaders and we realize the reactions to them are, are not bad. They're not wrong at all. Actually, that's just a true reaction of culturally what you think is what you what you value. Um, and so you realize you have to take a number of steps back in your own heads Yes. To th even thinking about what what do I expect a leader to be? Who who do how do I expect them to behave? And, and things like in the West, we see someone who takes initiatives and pushes for and uh, pushes forward. As yeah, well that's that's a sign of a leader. Mm. But in uh, many cultures, that's not the sign of a leader. That's the sign of a pushy rebel. It's not the sign of someone who's honoured and respected. Yes. So we look for initiative rather than who is honoured and respected in the community because mm. of their history, because of all sorts of things. Um, and they may not say much until invited to, mm. because many cultures are permission giving cultures, mm. whereas we, we price for people who take initiative when not given permission. Yes. Um, and we in a Western context, I mean. And so you've just got to think those sort of things th through. Uh, and, you know, we found when we've invited some people to really take responsibility for things, they hadn't volunteered when we when they, we invited them to take responsibility for the thing, they did it absolutely brilliantly, better than a lot of the people that would have pushed themselves forward. Mm. So yes. you're looking for different things. Yes. Um, yeah. Uh, and I think about this as well in terms of uh, 
so I'm thinking of a number of our sites of the of kids and how you will deal with your kids. So again, white middle class. I have a way of dealing with my children, especially when they were younger. Um, That would be entirely alien to large sections of the planet, but actually probably um, would be a little bit alien to the white working classes that we have as well. That they would uh, they would treat their kids differently. and the and to, to black and um, Asian families as well, they would treat their kids uh, differently. And so even the timings of meetings. And so we will often time our evening meetings, midweek evening meetings, so that the kids are in bed, <laughs> so that families can get to it. If well, you're like, in a culture that doesn't put their children to bed. Yeah. Yeah, what are you going to do? <laughs> so, it, there, yeah, it, I mean, it's a fascinating thing. To, to to take a step back but you that is one of the underlying things we need to consider then as the as british church actually you know, i mean you made a comment it was in the last podcast um about we we pray for revival in the british churches pray for revival um but perhaps white british pastors don't look to the fact that many people are getting saved in the uk they're just not white exactly um, so i mean that is a that's a, a shocking truth for us to consider as well absolutely yeah, very good. Okay, well, let's move on to our, our last one. And this is more of a global perspective, uh, which I think is important as well. So we've looked at how we live in a post-Christian culture, need for fully understanding ethnic and social diversity in local church. Um, but also the idea that the centre of Christianity has moved from the West to the East and the South, really reflecting where the majority of Christians are in the world and I guess where the majority of people are getting saved and, and I'm going to ask a stupid question to set you up but again as a church leader in Britain why is why should that matter to me why is that important why do I need to think about that because you as a western church leader you'll be influenced by a feeling or concept that Western methods of Christianity are really what you've got to listen to. Yeah. So you will tend to look the books you read, the models you follow will tend to be that the way you approach scripture will be influenced only by, um, you know, Western thinking, you know, the famous quote um, that, you know, you go to a bookstore, a Christian bookshop in America, and it's got a section that says African theology, some African books there, and then Asian theology, and so on. Then it got another section called theology, (laughs) (laughs) which is where all the Western books are, not (laughs) Western theology. (laughs) Yeah. Do you see what I mean? I mean, that's that's been quoted many times, but it just betrays something. Now, when I'm preparing a message, for example, I do have the advantage of having travelled a lot and Mm -hmm. learned from other cultures anyway. I will try and think how would different uh, cultural backgrounds look at this passage of scripture i make sure i read things like the african bible commentary mm. i um make 
I, I, I try and read books and look at things from an Eastern perspective. Mm. Um, I try and think that way because that then connects me. So as a Western church leader, at a pure pragmatic level, that's the sort of thing you need to understand. At a bigger level, we just need to, particularly when you start traveling elsewhere, you can still adopt a, this is how we do it in our church approach. I tell people who travel with me, never say that unless you're asked. Mm. Because, you know, if you're in a different context, what, what relevance is it how you do it in your church? And so there needs to be a humility that recognises that and recognises the people God is raising up to influence from other cultural contexts across the world and so on. So it gives us a good dose of humility and recognises that uh, where God is working may not be in accordance with some of the methodologies and so on and outlooks that we have as in Western Christianity. Mm. We're a minority. Yeah, yeah I'm, I think during the pandemic, and it's hard to know whether it's pandemic related, I suspect it probably was, uh, we saw a number of um, big American pastors um, stop being pastors um and uh, there were famous podcasts examining the fall and uh, of some of these pastors and um uh, one of the things I, I felt in kind of reflecting on those and uh, the reading of bits and bobs about it was the 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 very influential model of Amer of mega church american way of doing things um which is quite managerial, quite executive driven, uh, commercially driven almost in how they dealt with people and stats and all of those sorts of things. Um, and how that how that has really seeped into us in, in the UK, I would say. We do, we have a few what we would call a mega church means less people here in the UK than it does in America, doesn't it? But, but we would have that. But that that way of thinking and, and there's nothing wrong with managing an organisation well and, you know, nothing at all. And in fact, it's important to do. Um, but the the clear influence over probably the last 20 or 30 years of that way of operating and thinking, um, I, I think that has been hugely exposed. Um, so there is a there is a big there's probably a big vacuum there now as to where we look and reflect on into again in terms of leadership like we were talking about uh, but also our theology so i'm quite conscious now of the 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 names of the authors on my commentaries and all of the names of the authors i think i recognize those names they they're probably white men um and so there there's a real challenge in that isn't there for us um yeah yes i think there is and i think it's it's simply we I mean, in one sense, there's nothing you do about it other than making sure you're learning from wider sources and you're thinking differently. Um, but it just helps our humility to acknowledge where God is working in parts of the world and uh, looking to and, and make sure that as we interact, we do so with genuine humility mm. and seeing the way God is working there. Yeah. So in oh, this, saying, but it, it's on. important to mm. it's important for us just to recognise it. I think mm. 
Yeah. So I, this is a question slightly based on we're, we're both part of a group of churches called New Frontiers, which has a number of different kind of apostolic leaders. So we would uh, believe in the, the apostolic gift still, if you're listening to this podcast. Uh, David has written a book on that, which you should read, um, which we will tweet. Um, but we, we would believe in that. But New Frontiers is a, a, a started in the UK, started in Sussex in the UK and is expanding the UK and now is a global movement. And we would recognise numbers of apostolic gifts across the world. And thinking about the UK part of that, I wonder whether the, the, the shift in the, the from west to east south is that uh, apostles who aren't British start having greater influence in UK churches and UK church life and oversee, look after and plant in the UK. Uh, there's a kind of a, a, a flipping that, um, that that seems to me the, the, a logical kind of progression uh, from uh, of what you're saying. Do you think that's fair? Yeah, I think it's very fair. I still think we've got a long way to go on really appreciating yes. different gifts across the world, even in our own circles now mm. i think it's, it's it's a lot more than it was yeah but we've just gotta um and you know the, the style may not quite fit what we're used to also we mustn't do it in a patronizing way in a sort of tokenistic yes it needs yep. to be genuine but how you know that's got to be worked out um both in our in, in our context and more broadly yes yeah, no, I, th- I mean, I know it for myself as we think about our church as it goes into the future. Um, we think about, OK, where, who is our our apostle for want of better language? And, and the people that most leap to mind are not British. Yeah. And uh, thinking about the, um being more influenced perhaps by Eastern ways of thinking about church. Um, actually, that may be much more helpful for us working out what life is in a post-Christian culture, because some of these guys come from places where they had to flee war and yeah, right. where they were, they were assumed to be, if you're evangelical Christian in that country, you were probably an American spy. Now, all of these things. And so really understood what it was to be a minority and how to work that out joyfully, actually, like you talked about. So you do wonder actually whether to, for us to flourish a bit, our influences and voices need to come from a very different place in this next era. I agree. Yeah. Very good. I'm glad you agree with me, David. That feels like an excellent way to end this podcast. Um, so just to run through it again, if you haven't heard the first podcast, I encourage you to do so. We talk about the consumerist nature of the Western church, individualism uh, as well. Um, and today, how we live in post-Christian culture, how we understand the need for ethnic and social diversity and the centre of Christianity moving from west to east, south. And all of that is trying to understand how what God is doing at the moment. Um, and I kind of asked you this last time. And you you hedged your bets ever so slightly, David. And you you said that we are in a time of shaking, which we all agreed with. Um, I, I, I'm wondering if in yourself, just in your thinking, in your experience of um, church leadership in the UK and abroad and your experience in leading movements of churches, if you could predict where the British church will be in 10 years, what it will flourish in, what will be a big problem, uh, uh, what would you think? What What's your gut reaction to that? Totally putting you on the spot here. You totally are, yeah. <laughs> um, I would say 
if we go in a direction we need to, leadership will be much more diverse in terms of ethnicity and so on. I also believe that the things we're talking about, the cost of discipleship, if we don't, if we don't spell that out, mm. I think um, we will not really harness a new generation. And also that we need that our evangelism will be much more influencing by your way of life mm. than uh, simply evangelistic campaigns and so on. Yes. But that's, and in the, in the end, I believe that will be fruitful. Yes. You know, things like Paul said to Titus, uh, you know, teach them how to live in a way so that people out around them won't speak against the word of God because of their way of life. Yes. Very good. I, I mean, that really speaks to the post-Christian culture thing and what you were saying about the Western church's desire to run to methodology and structure. And actually, we see at the moment people are talking about different evangelistic and discipleship methodologies. But if we really live in a post-Christian culture, my life will look different to yeah. my work colleague, noticeably. Yes. And my basic view on basic human things yes. will be very different. Uh, and so there is uh, the, the the differences will be so stark, it will be easier in a funny way to, to be identified. Um, but you then need to be able to tell your story, mm. why, why you are like you are. Mm. People need to see the fruit of that. Mm. People need to see you as not judgmental because that's yeah. where you could go wrong in this context. Yes. Yes, to remember we're not in a culture war. Actually, we are trying to live our lives. We're trying to do what Jeremiah said. Yeah. Very good. David, I really appreciate your time. We are going to finish there. Um, and uh, yeah, if you want any more content, go onto the broadcast website, uh, watch our Twitter and Instagram feed. We also have a conference coming up in June which I'm not going to tell you anything about, but it is exciting. And we're going to get to some of those issues in that conference. So thank you very much. And we'll see you again soon.